Section 48 of A Popular History of France, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 44. Louis the Fourteenth, His Wars and His Conquests, Part 5. On quitting his army, the king had inscribed in his notebook, quote, My departure. I do not mean to have anything more done, end quote. The temperature favoured his designs. It did not freeze, the country remained inundated, and the towns unapproachable. The troops of the Elector of Brandenburg, together with a corps sent by the Emperor, had put themselves in motion towards the Rhine. Turenne kept them in check in Germany. Condé covered Alsace. The Duke of Luxembourg, remaining in Holland, confined himself to burning two large villages, Beaudegrave and Summerdam. Quote, there was a grill of all the Hollanders who were in those burgs, wrote the marshal to the Prince of Condé, not one of whom was let out of the houses. This morning we were visited by two of the enemy's drummers, who came to claim a colonel of great note amongst them, I have him in cinders at this moment, as well as several officers that we have not, and that are demanded of us, who I suppose were killed at the approaches to the villages, where I saw some rather pretty little heaps." The attempts of the Prince of Orange on Charleroi had failed, as well as those of Luxembourg on the Hague. The Swedes had offered their mediation, and negotiations were beginning at Cologne. On the 10th of June, 1673, Louis XIV laid siege to Maastricht. Condé was commanding in Holland, with Luxembourg under his orders. Turenne was observing Germany. The king alone was with Vauban. Maastricht held out three weeks. Quote, Monsieur de Vauban, in this siege, as in many others, saved a number of lives by his ingenuity, wrote a young subaltern, the Count of Aligny. Quote, in times past it was sheer butchery in the trenches, now he makes them in such a manner that one is as safe as if one were at home. Quote, I don't know whether it ought to be called swagger, vanity, or carelessness, the way we have of showing ourselves unadvisedly and without cover, Vauban used to say, but it is an original sin of which the French will never purge themselves, if God, who is all-powerful, do not reform the whole race. Maestricht taken, the king repaired to Alsace, where skilful negotiations delivered into his hands the towns that had remained independent. It was time to consolidate past conquests. The coalition of Europe was forming against France. The Hollanders held the sea against the hostile fleets. After three desperate fights, Reuter had prevented all landing in Holland. The states no longer entertained the proposals they had but lately submitted to the king at Utrecht. The Prince of Orange had recovered Narden, and just carried Bonn, with the aid of the imperialists, commanded by Montecuccilli. Luxembourg had already received orders to evacuate the province of Utrecht, at the end of the campaign of 1673, Gulder and Overissel were likewise delivered from the enemies who had oppressed and plundered them. Spain had come forth from her lethargy, and the emperor, resuming the political direction of Germany, had drawn nearly all the princes after him into the league against France. The Protestant qualms of the English Parliament had not yet yielded to the influence of the Marquis of Ruvigny, a man of note amongst the French reformers, and at this time ambassador of France in London. The nation desired peace with the Hollanders, and Charles II yielded, in appearance at least, to the wishes of his people. On the 21st of February, 1674, he repaired to Parliament to announce to the two houses that he had concluded with the United Provinces, quote, a prompt peace as they had prayed, honourable, and as he hoped, durable, end quote. He at the same time wrote to Louis Fourteenth to beg to be condoled with, rather than upbraided, for a consent which had been wrung from him. 
the regiments of English and Irish auxiliaries remained quietly in the service of France, and the king did not withdraw his subsidies from his royal pensioner. Thus was being undone, link by link, the chain of alliances which Louis the Fourteenth had but lately twisted round Holland. France, in her turn, was finding herself alone, with all Europe against her, scared and consequently active and resolute. The Congress of Cologne had broken up. Not one of the belligerents desired peace. The Hollanders had just settled the heredity of the Stadtholderat in the House of Orange. Louis the Fourteenth saw the danger. Quote, so many enemies, says he in his memoir, obliged me to take care of myself, and think what I must do to maintain the reputation of my arms, the advantage of my dominions, and my personal glory. It was in Franche-Comté that Louis the Fourteenth went to seek these advantages. The whole province was reduced to submission in the month of June, 1674. Turenne had kept the Rhine against the imperialists. The marshal alone escaped the tyranny of the king and Louvois, and presumed to conduct the campaign in his own way. When Louis the Fourteenth sent him instructions, he was by this time careful to add, quote, You will not bind yourself down to what I send you hereby as to my intentions, save when you think that the good of my service will permit you, and you will give me of your news the oftenest you find it possible. Thirtieth of March, sixteen seventy four. Turenne did not always write, and it sometimes happened that he did not obey. This redounded to his honor in the campaign of sixteen seventy four. Condé had gained, on the 11th of August, the bloody victory of Senef over the Prince of Orange and the Allied generals. The four squadrons of the King's household, posted within range of the fire, had remained for eight hours in order of battle, without any movement but that of closing up as the men fell. Madame de Sévigny, to whom her son, standard-bearer in the Dauphin gendarmes, had told the story, wrote to M. de Bussy-Rabutin, but for the Te Deum and some flags brought to Notre Dame, we should have thought we had lost the battle. The Prince of Orange, ever indomitable in his cold courage, had attacked Audenarde on the fifteenth of September, but he was not in force, and the approach of Condé had obliged him to raise the siege. To make up, he had taken Grave, spite of the heroic resistance made by the Marquis of Chemilly, who had held out ninety-three days. Advantages remained balanced in Flanders. The result of the campaign depended on Turenne, who commanded on the Rhine. Quote, if the king had taken the most important place in Flanders, he wrote to Louvois, and the emperor were master of Alsace, even without Philipsburg or Brissac, I think the king's affairs would be in the worst plight in the world. We should see what armies we should have in Lorraine, in the bishoprics, and in Champagne. I do assure you that if I had the honor of commanding in Flanders, I would speak as I do. End quote. On the 16th of June he engaged in battle, at Sinsheim, with the Duke of Lorraine, who was coming up with the advance guard. Quote, I never saw a more obstinate fight, said Turenne. Those old regiments of the emperors did mighty well. End quote. He subsequently entered the Palatinate, quartering his troops upon it, whilst the superintendents sent by Louvois were burning and plundering the country, crushed as it was under war contributions. The king and Louvois were disquieted by the movement of the enemy's troops, and wanted to get Turenne back into Lothringen. Quote, An army like that of the enemy, wrote the marshal to Louvois on the 13th of September, and at the season it is now, cannot have any idea but that of driving the king's army from Alsace, having neither provisions nor means of getting into Lorraine, unless I be driven from the country. End quote. On the 20th of September, the burgesses of the free city of Strasbourg delivered up the bridge over the Rhine to the imperialists who were in the heart of Alsace. The victory of Ensheim, the fights of Mulhausen and Turkheim, sufficed to drive them back. 
but it was only on the twenty second of january sixteen seventy five that turenne was at last enabled to leave alsace reconquered there is no longer in france an enemy that is not a prisoner he wrote to the king whose thanks embarrassed him quote, everybody has remarked that m de turenne is a little more bashful than he was wont to be said pelisson the coalition was proceeding slowly the prince of orange was ill the king made himself master of the citadel of liege and some small places limbourg surrendered to the prince of conde without the allies having been able to relieve it turenne was posted with the rhine in his rear keeping montecuculli in his front he was preparing to hem him in and hurl him back upon black mountain his army was thirty thousand strong quote, i never saw so many fine fellows turenne would say nor better intentioned end quote. spite of his modest reserve he felt sure of victory quote, this time I have them, he kept saying, they cannot escape me. End quote. On the 27th of June, 1675, in the morning, Turenne ordered an attack on the village of Salzbach. The young Count of Saint-Hilaire found him at the head of his infantry, seated at the foot of a tree, into which he had ordered an old soldier to climb, in order to have a better view of the enemy's manoeuvres. The Count of Roy sent to conjure him to reconnoitre in person the German column that was advancing. Quote, I shall remain where I am, said Turenne, unless something important occur, End quote. and he sent off reinforcements to M. de Roy. The latter repeated his entreaties, the marshal asked for his horse, and at a hard gallop reached the right of the army, along a hollow, in order to be under cover from two small pieces of cannon, which kept up an incessant fire. Quote, I don't at all want to be killed today, he kept saying. He perceived M. de Saint-Hilaire, the father, coming to meet him, and asked him what column it was on account of which he had been sent for. Quote, My father was pointing it out to him, writes young Saint-Hilaire, when unhappily the two little pieces fired. A ball, passing over the quarters of my father's horse, carried away his left arm and the horse's neck, and struck M. de Turenne in the left side. He still went forward about twenty paces on his horse's neck, and fell dead. I ran to my father, who was down, and raised him up no need to weep for me he said it is the death of that great man you may perhaps lose your father but neither your country nor you will ever have a general like that again oh poor army what is to become of you tears fell from his eyes then suddenly recovering himself go my son and leave me he said with me it will be as god pleases time presses go and do your duty memoire du marquis de saint hilaire page two o five they threw a cloak over the corpse of the great general and bore it away quote, the soldiers raised a cry that was heard two leagues off writes madame de sevigny no consideration could restrain them they roared to be led to battle they wanted to avenge the death of their father with him they had feared nothing but they would show how to avenge him let it be left to them they were frantic let them be led to battle montecuculli had for a moment halted quote, Today a man has fallen who did honour to man, said he, as he uncovered respectfully. He threw himself, however, on the rear guard of the French army, which was falling back upon Alsace, and recrossed the Rhine at Altenheim. The death of Turenne was equivalent to a defeat. The Emperor Napoleon said of Turenne, quote, He is the only general whom experience ever made more daring. End quote. He had been fighting for forty years, and his fame was still increasing, without effort or ostentation on his part. Quote, M. de Turenne, from his youth up, possessed all good qualities, wrote Cardinal de Retz, who knew him well, quote, and the great he acquired full early. He lacked none but those that he did not think about. He possessed nearly all virtues, as it were, by nature. He never possessed the glitter of any. 
He was believed to be more fitted for the head of an army than of a party, and so I think, because he was not naturally enterprising. But, however, who knows? He always had in everything, just as in his speech, certain obscurities, which were never cleared up save by circumstances, but never save to his glory." He had said, when he set out, to this same Cardinal de Retz, then in retirement at Commercy, quote, Sir, I am no talker, or diseur, but I beg you to believe that, if it were not for this business in which perhaps I may be required, I would go into retirement as you have gone, and I give you my word that if I come back, I, like you, will put some space between life and death. God did not leave him time. He summoned suddenly to him this noble, grand, and simple soul, quote, I see that cannon loaded with all eternity, says Madame de Sévigny. I see all that leads M. de Turenne thither, and I see therein nothing gloomy for him. What does he lack? He dies in the meridian of his fame. Sometimes, by living on, the star pales. It is safer to cut to the quick, especially in the case of heroes whose actions are also watched. M. de Turenne did not feel death. Count you that for nothing? Turenne was sixty-four. He had become a convert to Catholicism in 1668, seriously and sincerely, as he did everything. For him, Bossuet had written his exposition of faith. Heroic souls are rare, and those that are heroic and modest are rarer still. That was the distinctive feature of M. de Turenne. Quote, when a man boasts that he has never made mistakes in war, he convinces me that he has not been long at it, he would say. At his death, France considered herself lost. Quote, the premier president of the court of aids has an estate in Champagne, and the farmer of it came the other day to demand to have the contract dissolved. He was asked why. He answered that in M. de Turenne's time one could gather in with safety and count upon the lands in that district, but that since his death everybody was going away, believing that the enemy was about to enter Champagne. Lettre de Madame de Sévigny. Quote, I should very much like to have only two hours' talk with the shade of M. de Turenne, said the Prince of Condé, on setting out to take command of the Army of the Rhine, after a check received by Marshal Crequy. Quote, I would take the consequences of his plans if I could only get at his views, and make myself master of the knowledge he had of the country, and of Montecuculli's tricks of feint. Quote, God preserves you for the sake of France, my lord, people said to him, but the prince made no reply beyond a shrug of the shoulders. It was his last campaign. The king had made eight marshals, quote, change for a Turenne, end quote. Crequy began by getting beaten before Trèves, which surrendered to the enemy, quote, why did the marshal give battle? asked a courtier. The king turned round quickly. Quote, I have heard, said he, that the Duke of Weimar, after the death of the great Gustavus, commanded the Swedish allies of France. One parabere, an old blue ribbon, said to him, speaking of the last battle which he had lost, Sir, why did you give it? Sir, answered Weimar, because I thought I should win it. Then, leaning over towards somebody else, he asked, Who is that fool with the blue ribbon? End quote. The Germans retired. Condé returned to Chantilly once more, never to go out of it again. Montecuculli, old and ill, refused to serve any longer. Quote, a man who has had the honour of fighting against Mohammed Caproli, against the prince, and against M. de Turenne, ought not to compromise his glory against people who are only just beginning to command armies, said the veteran general to the emperor on taking his retirement. The chiefs were disappearing from the scene. The heroic period of the war was over. Europe demanded a general peace. England and Holland desired it passionately. Quote, I am as anxious as you for an end to be put to the war, said the Prince of Orange to the deputies from the Estates, provided that I get out of it with honour. He refused obstinately to separate from his allies. Quote, 
it is not astonishing that the prince of orange does not at once give way even to things which he considers reasonable said charles the second he is the son of a father and mother whose obstinacy was carried to extremes and he resembles them in that meanwhile william had just married november fifteenth sixteen seventy seven the princess mary eldest daughter of the duke of york and anne hyde an alliance offensive and defensive between england and holland was the price of this union which struck louis the fourteenth an unexpected blow he had lately made a proposal to the prince of orange to marry one of his natural daughters quote, the first notice i had of the marriage wrote the king was through the bonfires lighted in london quote, the loss of a decisive battle could not have scared the king of france more said the english ambassador lord montague for more than a year past negotiations had been going on at nijmegen Louis the Fourteenth resolved to deal one more great blow. The campaign of 1676 had been insignificant, save at sea. John Bart, a corsair of Dunkirk, scoured the seas and made foreign commerce tremble. He took ships by boarding, and killed with his own hands the Dutch captain of the Neptune, who offered resistance. Messina, in revolt against the Spaniards, had given herself up to France. The Duke of Vivonne, brother of Madame de Montespan, who had been sent thither as governor, had extended his conquests duquesne quite young still had triumphantly maintained the glory of france against the great reuter who had been mortally wounded off catana on the twenty first of april but already the possession of sicily was becoming precarious and these distant successes had paled before the brilliant campaign of sixteen seventy seven the capture of valenciennes cambrai and st omer the defence of lorraine the victory of castle gained over the prince of orange had confirmed the king in his intentions Quote, we have done all that we were able and bound to do, wrote William of Orange to the Estates, on the 13th of April, 1677, and we are very sorry to be obliged to tell your high mightinesses that it has not pleased God to bless on this occasion the arms of the State under our guidance. Quote. Quote, I was all impatience, says Louis the Fourteenth in his memoir, to commence the campaign of 1678, and greatly desirous of doing something therein as glorious as, and more useful than, what had already been done but it was no easy matter to come by it and to surpass the lustre conferred by the capture of three large places and the winning of a battle i examined what was feasible and ghent being the most important of all i could attack i fixed upon it to besiege the place was invested on the first of march and capitulated on the eleventh ypres in its turn succumbed on the twenty fifth after a vigorous resistance on the seventh of april the king returned to st germain quote, pretty content with what i had done he says and purposing to do better in the future if the promise i had given not to undertake anything for two months were not followed by the conclusion of peace louis the fourteenth sent his ultimatum to nijmegen holland had weight in congress as well as in war and her influence was now enlisted on the side of peace Quote, not only is it desired said the grand pensionary fagel but it is absolutely indispensable and i would not answer for it that the states-general if driven to extremity by the sluggishness of their allies will not make a separate peace with france i know nobody in holland who is not of the same opinion the prince of orange flew out at such language quote, well then i know somebody said he and that is myself i will oppose it to the best of my ability but he added more slowly upon reflection if I were not here, I know quite well that peace would be concluded within twenty-four hours. End, quote. End of section forty-eight.